Voilà. Hello, I'm Abram Van Ingen. And I'm Joanne Diaz. And this is Poetry for All. And today we are going to discuss Tichborn's Elegy by Chittick Tichborn. And before we do that, though, Abram, can I just say a word about the Podcast Academy Ambies Award winner for Best yes. DIY Podcast? I just want to give a shout out to Anna Deshawn. As some of our listeners might recall, a few weeks ago we found out that the Poetry for All podcast was nominated for in the best DIY podcast category. I think they say it's for podcasts that have a budget of under (laughs) (laughs) $3,000. That would be us. We have a budget of about 30 cents, so we definitely qualified for this category. We were we were nominated. It was so much fun. And we went on Zoom. We did not win the best DIY podcast. I just want to acknowledge the winner, uh, Anna Deshawn for Queer News. Um, I've been listening to this podcast for the past several weeks, and I love everything about it. Beautiful production quality, excellent coverage in really short, digestible episodes. And it is what it sounds like. It's news about LGBTQ plus issues all around the country, briefly reported reported and analyzed by Anna Deshawn. And so I encourage our listeners to subscribe to that podcast and support that work because it's really pretty terrific. Excellent. Congratulations. All right, Abram. So shall we spend some time traveling back into the Renaissance to read Tichborn's Elegy? Absolutely. Here is the Elegy. My prime of youth is but a frost of cares. My feast of joy is but a dish of pain. My crop of corn is but a field of tares. And all my good is but vain hope of gain. The day is past, and yet I saw no sun. And now I live, and now my life is done. The spring is past, and yet it hath not sprung. My fruit is fallen, and yet my leaves are green. My youth is gone, and yet I am but young. I saw the world, and yet I was not seen. My thread is cut, and yet it is not spun. And now I live, and now my life is done. I sought my death, and found it in my womb. I looked for life, and saw it was a shade. I trod the earth, and knew it was my tomb. And now I die, and now I was but made. My glass is full, and now my glasses run. And now I live, and now my life is done. Ooh, that was a good reading. (laughs) Abram, give us a little bit of context for Tichborn, who he was, and the moment at which he allegedly wrote this poem. Absolutely. So, as we said, this is an elegy, but it's a weird elegy because it's an elegy for himself. And usually Mm. we think of an elegy as writing for a lost loved one. 
And the elegy is its own sort of reaching back, trying to make connection, trying to hold on to someone who has been lost. And in this case, he's writing an elegy for himself. And he's doing that because the next day he's going to be executed. So as best we know, this poem was written literally the day before his execution. Uh, Chittick Tichborn was a devout Catholic. He came from a, a pretty high-standing Catholic family and was born around 1558, when Queen Elizabeth took over and made England, you know, more thoroughly Protestant, there was at first some tolerance of Catholics uh, and then less tolerance of Catholics. And then he went uh, so far as to join what is called the Babington Plot, which basically sought to assassinate Queen Elizabeth and replace her with Mary, Queen of Scots, and return England to being Catholic. So he did, in fact, attempt to kill the Queen. He was caught, put in Tower of London, and he was given an execution day. And on the night before his execution, wrote a letter to his wife. And in that letter in, was included this elegy for himself. He died in his 20s. So it's a young person who is going to his death and writing an elegy for himself. That's pretty incredible, the outline of what you describe. And there's a way in which the poem as an utterance carries across the centuries and feels so universal in its expression. And yet, of course, it's also very unique to its time period. And I'd love to talk about some of that. Uh, speaking of things that are unique to the time period, could you say a word about what he was anticipating as far as his death was concerned. Yes, so the death that was coming for him was as gruesome a death as can possibly be imagined. Uh, he was hung, drawn, and quartered, which is um, an unpleasant way to go. Just very briefly, and we don't need to dwell on the details here, but he was he was choked, but not to death, and then disemboweled while still alive. Uh, and in fact, he was it was such a gruesome death that as the spectators were watching it, they began to sympathize with the people being executed, and he was the first. And when Queen Elizabeth saw that this manner of death was actually winning the crowd over to those being executed, she said, no, no, no more of that, and she just just kill all the rest quickly. Um, I, don't, I don't mean to laugh at something so gruesome, but I love that she decided to stop that kind of execution, not because it was an inhumane, but because it was garnering sympathy for her enemies. You know, yes. it's uh, yeah. Yes, oh, there God. is a manner of gruesomeness that actually uh, is so repellent that people begin to wonder maybe this isn't so good. Yes, right. And so he knew this. He knew that this was his end. And so maybe we can get into the poem with all that we you've said in mind and and try to understand what exactly he's articulating here, right? So let's look at that first stanza, and maybe we could just for listeners who may not have the poem in front of them, this is a three-stanza poem. And in each stanza, there are six lines. So it's a very beautiful, balanced shape, right? Very nice. Mm -hmm. And here's the first stanza. My prime of youth is but a frost of cares. My feast of joy is but a dish of pain. My crop of corn is but a field of tares, and all my good is but vain hope of gain. The day is past, and yet I saw no sun, and now I live, and now my life is done. What do you notice right away? So first thing I notice is the rhyme scheme. I mean, that's easy thing to notice, but it's a, a very effective rhyme scheme because it's the same in every stanza, A, B, A, B, C, C. 
And by ending with that CC, that couplet, it has a sense of closure to it. And of course, what we're talking about in this poem is a sense of closure of the most Mm. extreme form. And so every stanza has this powerful closing off. And I'm sure we'll talk, talk about this again, but every stanza also ends with the same line. And so you come to this finality uh, and now I live, and now my life is done at every stanza. The other thing I noticed very quickly, if we just go to that first line, my prime of youth is but a frost of cares, there's so many other poems that immediately spring to mind. This is still part of a tradition. He's still living in the same sort of poetic atmosphere as other people. We just did a um, podcast episode on Queen Elizabeth, and she has all the same imagery, which she draws from Petrarch, of freezing and burning, and this this going back and forth, this both and, um, this, this sort of paradoxical, I'm one thing and the other thing at the same time. It's the same tradition that Chittick Tichborn is pulling off of. Yes, those Petrarchan contrasts are absolutely key to what he's trying to identify in his emotional and psychological extremes, right? My prime of youth is but a frost of cares. He's 24 years old when he's writing this poem, right? Mm-hmm. And so to suggest that, yes, he is in the prime of his youth, but all he feels is the frost of cares. There is that suggestion of frost as wintry, end of life, almost elderly in the connotation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can you? And also, uh, look at this. My feast of joy is but a dish of pain. It mm-hmm. ought to be abundant, but all he sees on his dish is suffering. Can you talk to us about my crop of corn is but a field of tares? And again, if you don't have the poem in front of you, it's not T-E-A-R-S, it's T-A-R-E-S. What what is that line referring to, Abram? Yeah, that's direct reference to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 13, 24 to 30. And there you have Jesus um, talking about the wheat and the tares, and these things are sown together. And folks come along and say, hey, shouldn't we pull out all the all the tares, the, the, the weeds, basically? And he says, no, because if you do that, you might get the wheat too. Let it be, and we'll sort it out at the end, basically. <laughs> mm. And, you know, what I find interesting about that line in this poem There's almost some admission in that line, it feels to me, as though he's allowing for the fact that he might have erred, as righteous as his cause might have been. And he clearly he thinks his cause was righteous. He was willing to kill the queen for his cause, right? For his faith. Mm. Uh, Yet there is a kind of admission that there are possibly errors within this field. (laughs) And at the end which is coming the next day, it's going to be sorted out at that time. Okay, that's really helpful. Now I'm thinking about what you established at the beginning of the podcast where you were saying this is a kind of pre-elegy. And I think that's really important, some of what you're saying about his perhaps his acknowledgement that what he's done is at least problematic, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Because this poem, to me, feels like it is part of not just the elegy tradition, but the Ars Moriendi tradition, which is to say, um, in the medieval and Renaissance periods, there was this Latin phrase, Ars Moriendi, and it referred to the art of dying well. And, you know, in the 21st century, I think death generally makes us 
us uncomfortable. We don't like to talk mm. about it. We don't like to dwell on it too much. We, we generally, as a culture, do not do well uh, when mm -hmm. we talk about death. We're, we're good at avoiding it, but not really understanding it. But in the medieval and Renaissance periods, the centuries during which people were struggling with plague and pandemic, uh, much as we have been in, in recent years, uh, they had to confront it all the time. And one of the ways they understood it was by um, thinking about all the ways we can prepare for death, by settling our accounts, by saying our final farewells, uh, by meeting with our spiritual counselor or priest or minister, uh, by saying our prayers, right? So making sure you're ready for it. And I feel like this poem, there's a way in which he's preparing himself for it, even if the circumstances of his death are beyond his control at this point. Unlike most people, he actually knows the day of his death. It is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so it's, it's, it's a kind of urgency to this preparation. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the second stanza and you tell me what you see happening here. The spring is past and yet it hath not sprung. My fruit is fallen and yet my leaves are green. My youth is gone and yet I am but young. I saw the world and yet I was not seen. My thread is cut and yet it is not spun. And now I live and now my life is done. You know, by the time I get to this second stanza, it reminds me of what's both peculiar and fascinating about this poem, and also initially maybe not so exciting. You know, when you first shared this poem with me, by the way, I had not read this poem before you recommended it, Abram. Uh, and so it was mm. new to me, even though this is a time period that I I think I study from time to time. <laughs> I, I thought I... An expert. No, I, I would call no, you an no, expert. No, no, by no means an expert, but certainly a, a, a fangirl. But the point is, uh, I thought I knew a few things about the Renaissance, but I didn't know this poem. When you first shared it with me, I was like, eh, I don't know. And I think the reason and I felt a little meh about it is because it feels a bit repetitive. The repetition mm -hmm. is in that refrain, and now I live, and now my life is done. The repetition is in the syntax, my thread is cut, comma, and yet it is not spun, comma, and now I live, comma, and now my life is done, period. It's, it's very symmetrical yeah. in that way, but also every single word in this poem is a monosyllable. Just one syllable. Yes. I can't. I don't know if I've ever read a poem that's done that before. Have you? No. And, and, and also just thinking about the discipline it would take. Well, and to a certain extent, who knows how long he may have been meditating upon some of these right. themes. But let's look at what this second stanza does. The spring is past, and yet it hath not sprung. My fruit is fallen, and yet my, or fallen, right? And yet my leaves yeah. are green. Uh, my youth is gone, and yet I am but young. I saw the world, and yet I was not seen. My thread is cut, and yet it is not spun. What is he saying here about his youth? So for me, these lines link up really well with another podcast episode we did on Anne Bradstreet and her elegy for her granddaughter, in which she compares her granddaughter who died in infancy to nature and says, look, by nature, things grow up, get ripe, then fall. And, and that's, the, that's the sort of natural cycle of things. But to cut things short, to mow them down, requires some kind of external intervention. And I feel like the same thing is happening here. He's, he's sort of saying, my life is over, but it's hardly begun. Uh, the leaves are green, and yet they're being cut down. 
the paradoxes that he's building into this show how unnatural this execution mm. is. To die in your youth is so unnatural. Mm. And the, the best way to show how unnatural it is is to compare it actually to nature. Yeah, and I'm also interested in his concern with literary immortality and, and visibility. So my tale was heard and yet it was not told. Uh, uh, I saw the world and yet I was not seen. He's sort of, he's writing his own epitaph here, you know, and he's presenting himself as perhaps a cosmopolitan, sophisticated person. I saw the world and yet I was not seen. Uh, this sense that he's been missed or or overlooked, you know? Yeah, and to build off of your earlier point about the monosyllables and the the repetitions and the balance. I mean, part of the power of the poem comes out when you have so many structured repetitions and so many monosyllables, and then there's a change. And in this stanza, you get that with the first five lines of this stanza, the middle part is and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, and then you say and now. Mm. And the last line is and now. The first uh, stanza is is but, is but, is but, is but, and then you get and now. And the last one, uh, the last stanza, and we can transition into that now, suddenly we have all these verbs that we didn't have in that, in that middle transition of the first two stanzas. The middle transition in each of these lines is and found and saw and knew and now and now and now. And that's how the poem ends with those repetitions in the end. Uh, so you get, I sought my death and found it in my womb. I looked for life and saw it was a shade. I trod the earth and knew it was my tomb. And now I die, and now I was but made. My glass is full, and now my glass is run. And now I live, and now my life is done. Wow, yeah, it really, do you feel it accelerating in this final stanza? It feels much more dramatic, much more momentum here, right? Yeah, and I think the and now just becomes so incredibly powerful because yes, you have and now, once in each of the first two stanzas, but look how many times you get it in those last three lines, and now, and now, and now, and now, and five times in the last three lines you get and now. So it's all coming to a point. It's all coming to a head. Wow. Okay. That that's really remarkable because it really brings us to the precipice between life and death. You know, by the time he gets to that final iteration of the refrain, and now I live, and now. My life is done. And that's the end. There is no language after mm-hmm. that, you know? Uh, very, very powerful. Absolutely, yeah. You know, one of the things I see him doing in this poem is I, I talk about poetry as processing all the time. Poetry as a process that is moving the poet even as it moves the reader. And you can sense a variety of tones going on in this poem. There's anger at the injustice of it. Uh, there's also a sense of the justice mm-hmm. of it, right? Like, he yeah. lost. There's consolation. There's an attempt to comfort himself at what's coming. There's an attempt to steal himself and and, and bolster his confidence. Uh, there's a kind of defiance and even a kind of peace with mm-hmm. it. So all of these various tones are going on here. But there's also this sense... So. You, you know, for me, looking at this poem, there's a there's a great poem by Anne Bradstreet called As Weary Pilgrim, one of the last poems that she wrote. <clears throat> and it's her preparation for death. And it's this it's it's a way of interpreting earthly life as full of cares. My private mm. youth is but a frost of cares so that you can depart from it. Yes. Uh, it's a way of, of looking back and saying, you know what? Actually, earthly life is full of misery and now I'm ready to yes. go. And you could see him doing that throughout here, too. But the last thing I'd, I'd say about this stanza is that that third to last line, and now I die, and now I was mm. but made. 
It's a reversal of the last line. And it's his attempt to say, actually, there is a there's a kind of birth or a life after what's coming tomorrow. Mm. And there's a there's a way in which I'll be made again in this death, mm. uh, even as the last line returns to the death itself. And now I live and now my life is which done. Which is true because here we are discussing the poem like right. 500 years right. later. Isn't that extraordinary, right? With all that said, would you be willing to read this poem for us again? Yes. Tichborn's Elegy. My prime of youth is but a frost of cares. My feast of joy is but a dish of pain. My crop of corn is but a field of tares, and all my good is but vain hope of gain. The day is past, and yet I saw no sun, and now I live, and now my life is done. The spring is past, and yet it hath not sprung. My fruit is fallen, and yet my leaves are green. My youth is gone, and yet I am but young. I saw the world, and yet I was not seen. My thread is cut, and yet it is not spun. And now I live, and now my life is done. I sought my death and found it in my womb. I looked for life and saw it was a shade. I trod the earth and knew it was my tomb. And now I die, and now I was but made. My glass is full, and now my glass is run, and now I live, and now my life is done. Hmm. So good. Yeah, I learned a lot from this one. I always learn a lot from you, Abram, but this one, no, I mean it, this one, I like it so much, I may add it to my classes in the fall. This is this is a beauty. This is great, yeah. And I just want to thank all the listeners for listening to us for the last couple of years. We are DIY, as we mentioned in the beginning, but we actually also require you. And so uh, we really appreciate it if you leave reviews, spread the word, could let others know about our podcasts, and just spread the news. That would be terrific. Yes, and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and we hope that you will subscribe. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you.